tuned for the Wine Crush podcast, where winemaker stories are uncorked. Wine Crush is supported by Country Financial Insurance. Welcome to Wine Crush, where winemakers tell the stories behind the vine. I'm your host, Heidi Moore. Glad to have you here for the third episode of Wine Crush. Thanks for joining us on Portland Radio Project. Today, we will hear two marvelous wine stories. The first features a family who rehabilitated a derelict property and crafted a brand that really has a surprising backstory. And in the second half, we'll meet a woman who, through resilience and perseverance, has continued to carry on the legacy of her wine journey. First from Monksgate Vineyard is Rebecca Moore, who no relation to myself, although she has a great last name. <laughs> so I would take you as family. It'd be great. Oh, um, thanks, Anyways, thanks for coming and welcome, Rebecca. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, okay. So we totally alluded to the surprising name behind Monksgate. And I know you kind of globetrotted a little bit before you landed in Oregon. So let's yeah. let's start where you started. Okay, so I came to Oregon by way of Colorado, Florida, Alaska, California. And I wound up in Oregon 6 years ago. I'm actually an escaped litigator from the Bay Area. And I got out of the practice of law and came up to the farm to clear my head. My dad likes to say they thought they'd childproof the house and one got back in. Oh, unfortunate, because the whole empty nesting thing backfired, apparently. Yeah, yeah, apparently so. Um, yeah, so my plan was to just be an attorney up here. And then I drug my feet about taking the bar, and I realized I was burned out. I was done, and I started looking around for something to do and realized I really enjoyed being part of the wine community. I was running a high-end wine club for a winery at the time and um, started talking to my parents about taking over the business that they had built. So had they actually started a winery or were they just a vineyard at that point? So we're permitted as a winery, but we don't have the actual facility yet. So right now we're a 20-acre vineyard. Perfect. And tell me what you're doing out there as far as just what you're growing and what varietals you are. Sure. Yeah. So we're 20 acres. Um, Two-thirds of it is Pinot. We do grow some Riesling. We do a beautiful dry Riesling. And we have five different clones of Pinot Noir. I'll plant it on uh, some different rootstocks to give the vineyard uh, variants, give us more choices in our toolbox for making the wines. Yeah. Perfect. That gives you lots of opportunity to do it some does. different stuff. It's amazing. With yeah. only five clones, I can make wine for the next 50 years and never make the same wine twice. That's crazy. Because Mother Nature throws in her own special curveball every time. Options are good. Yeah. Okay, so let's get back to the name because you actually sought me out because you had a story that you thought I needed to hear and we had lunch and you were right. Um, <laughs> and I love stories and this one's super fun because it is, it's different. Oh. So so let's, Monksgate is not your normal winery name that you hear normally. So tell us where that came from and why. Right. So my parents had bought this 50 acre property and it's uh, over by the Trappist Abbey outside of Carlton. And literally the day we were moving in, and you have to keep in mind, this property had been let go to the Christmas trees that had never been farmed properly. So they were 40 and 50 feet high on five by five spacing. Most of the area was not planted under vine yet. There were no other, very few other vineyards in the area. So it was still pretty rural. And we're like literally moving them in on a rainy October day. And these two guys come out of the woods in rain slickers. And we're looking at each other thinking, what's going on here? And they were monks from the nearby abbey. And they started quizzing my dad on what was going to happen with the property. And dad said that they were going to build a vineyard. And the monks were like, well, are you going to fence it? And my dad said, yeah, well, probably have to put in a deer fence. And that's when we found out they had historically walked our property for meditation. 
So my dad didn't think anything else of it. And he said, well, that's no problem. When we put the fence in, we'll put in a gate. Nobody thought anything else of it until a couple years later when they were starting the actual wine label, trying to come up with a name. And they, you know, it was foggy this and oaky that and nothing was really resonating. And they were working with the graphic artist. And my dad said, you ladies have to figure something out because I have to get back to the farm and put in the monk's gate. And they was just like this huge light bulb went off in the graphic and artist. Bam, said, there Tell it was. me what what is a monk's gate? And so dad told her the story and yeah, the brand was born. That's awesome. So you also told me that wasn't the first Monk's Gate you put in. You've gone through a couple different variations well, of yeah. it. We have some very um, young bucks that like to come through the property and they like to rub their felt off on the gates. So they uh, this last spring I went through three different gates. Right now it's just an open portal because I haven't figured out what a good alternative is going to be. Um, I want to put the gate back in so that I can control the the traffic of the deer through the vineyard, but I also sure. can't keep going through gates. Sure. Well, thank you for telling us that story. We are going to take a short break, and then we will be right back to talk wine with Rebecca. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast where wine stories are uncorked. I'm Heidi Moore. Our guest is Rebecca Moore from Monksgate Vineyard, and she's told us a story about how Monksgate came into existence in Carleton, Oregon. You've talked about the vineyard, um, but let's also talk about the wine. Ooh, let's. Yes, I like the wine, and we've been extremely lucky for you to bring us a bottle of your brand new release, which I think you probably should start with. Oh, thanks. So yeah, I brought you a bottle of our 2017 Dry Rosé. This is, um, I love this wine. It makes very little financial sense to make this wine because it's a direct press. So I've, um, I use a certain part of our pomard block just to doing this wine and it goes whole cluster into a press, gets a, goes through a really gentle cycle. So we're getting the fine tannins out of the skins that gives the wine a really nice structure without overwhelming the really pretty fruit. Um, but as you can see, it's super pale in color. It's not pink. It's no, not your normal rosé pink. Yeah, it's like yes. a salmon hue to it. Actually, when we go to bottle, it's almost clear, which is a little unnerving. But the color is coming back a tiny bit. But that's because it has such minimal skin contact. So you get this beautiful, lovely hue. Yeah, it's really lovely. I mean, to drink and to sip and taste, it was nice having a treat at 1230 this afternoon. Well, I figured it's spring in a glass and it was a little oh, gloomy outside. So we'll brighten the place up. Perfect. I love it. So other than rosé, you have... So we do another white, which is a dry Riesling, and then we do um, several different Pinots. We do a reserve Pinot that we call our Trinity, and then we do a classic Pinot, and then I usually do uh, a club-only wine, which is a special project each year, depending on what Mother Nature throws at us. So is all your fruit a state? Yeah, then? so mm -hmm, everything we use is from our own vineyard. So why does that make it special? I have complete control over the growing. So, you know, I think that you'll hear the motto that good wines start in the vineyard. And if you don't start with really great fruit, you can do certain things in the winery. But, you know, if you over manipulate a wine, it really shows in the glass. Whereas if you start with quality fruit, you pretty much can't go wrong. And so I, I have the honor of being able to, to shepherd the fruit through the season and then bring it into the winery where I get to work on it hands on as well. So I'm, I'm really dirt to glass. And that's fairly unique. 
It is unique and it's really refreshing and fun to go out to the tasting room and experience and listen to you talk about it and be able to walk the vineyard. And you have Fizz, who's the resident vineyard dog yes, that I greets do. everybody as they come in. Yes, he's very fizzy. Yes, he's our rescue Airedale. Um, I will have had him one year next month. Yeah, he's he's pretty special. He's so much fun when we're out there, too. Yeah, he's high energy, that's for sure. And he's, uh, he's a good worker as well, so he's earning his keep. Yeah, he was chasing the birds off, so that's a good start, right? Yeah, he gives the gophers heck. That's what's important. Yeah, even yeah. better. So you have this beautiful, iconic barn on your property um, at the bottom, you know, over by the house. Yeah. And you're not necessarily using that as your tasting room, but you have a pretty cool tasting room that you do utilize. Yeah, actually, the tasting room was the old equipment shed. And uh, the barn dates from the 1930s. The property was originally a dairy. So uh, so we have this great old barn, and it's going to have to come down before too long, and I'm going to salvage all the wood off of it and then um, hopefully rebuild the structure in that same silhouette because it is so iconic to the property. Sure. So what are your plans other than the barn now? Um, what new wines are you going to be looking at? What are your plans going forward with the vineyard? Are we doing any new planting yeah, soon? So yeah, planting takes money. So I got to go find the money for that. But in the immediate future, what I want to concentrate on is doing some single clone wines. Right now, our wines are all blends of clones on the vineyard. And we have a couple blocks that produce some really special fruit that I'm I'm really looking forward to finding those super sweet spots within them and producing a really, really strong, powerful, unique wine that tells the story of that block. Yeah. And I know you were doing some wine drop-offs here in the Portland location. Is there somewhere in particular that someone could experience your wine? So we're self-distributed. So I'm not in a lot of places. Um, I'm not in any wine shops in Portland currently. I'm in some restaurants and stuff up and down the coast. Um, I'm in Cannon Beach. Um, there's uh, Yahats and Depot Bay. Um, and other than that, it's pretty much online or through the tasting room right now. Perfect. And I highly encourage people to come out to the tasting oh, room and out do. to the farm. Yeah. It's such a beautiful location oh, and thanks. very picturesque and picture worthy. We're really lucky to have the spot we have. Yeah. Well, it's been great hearing the story and talking about the wines. We will be right back in a few minutes to talk to Christine with Gypsy Dancer Wines. Thank you for coming to Portland. Thank you. Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. Welcome back to Wine Crush, the podcast for wine lovers. Now you'll meet another winemaker with an incredible story, Christine Andrus from Gypsy Dancer. Welcome, Christine. Thank you, Heidi. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in. So when I first met you, I came into the tasting room and we had a three hour conversation about your romantic life with wine and what came before it. So I'm going to let you take the floor and start from the beginning because it's way too cool. Well, thanks, I guess. I don't know. Um, it's a Hollywood story in the making. It is. It's a Cinderella I, I, story. I think really. we need to put it out there and somebody comes and makes the real life version for you. Well, um, I started in the wine industry uh, as a winery owner or in the production side of wine back in 2002. Um, it was a project that I started with my late husband, Gary Andrus. 
Gary had a fantastic career in the wine industry, starting a very successful winery in Napa Valley called Pine Ridge Winery, and then coming to Oregon and starting Archery Summit, which was a huge success. But when I met him uh, around the year 2000, he felt like a little disillusioned that he wasn't making wine anymore. He was just managing managers. So when we met, my response was, well, I want to make wine. So uh, we started this little brand, Gypsy Dancer, which was consisted of he, myself, my dad, who drove the forklift, and my brother-in-law, who worked in the vineyard. So you got the whole family involved in this project. Mm, well, not the whole family. I have a very big family, but a few a few family members. Perfect. But it was mostly Gary and I was kind of a mom and pop. That was his vision, was a mom and pop winery. We made about, uh, we simultaneously started a winery in New Zealand, uh, which together we produced about 8,000 cases of Pinot Noir. We imported all that wine back to the United States and distributed it in 38 states. Wow. But uh, the story that everybody loves to hear is how I met Gary. It turns out that I went to a wine event for Oregon Pinot Noir in Vail, Colorado, and uh, I met Gary there. And I had had some experience with uh, his name and his story prior to that. So I walked right up to him and introduced myself. And when I got back to Durango, which is in the other side of the state, uh, I got a phone call from Gary and he asked me on a date. And I said, well, that'll be kind of difficult. You live in California, whatever. And he flew in in a jet and took me out to dinner. I was working three jobs at the time. And I lived in a little cabin at a drive-in movie theater. And we went to this nice restaurant up in the ski area. And right as we were uh, having cocktails, he asked me, this is such a beautiful place. Do you think you could ever leave here? And I was like, well, I'm a gypsy. I'm just going to follow the wind. I'm not anywhere for a long time. It turns out that he had had this experience where he was told when he was a child that he would marry a gypsy and be happy I didn't know this. We went back to my cabin. We danced to some beautiful music, and he proposed to me on our first date. And two weeks later, I lived on top of Howell Mountain. In I now have goosebumps again, so I got to thank you for that. Yeah. That it just is one of those stories that just you do see in the movies, but you don't hear or meet in real life. Yeah, it was quite an adventure. We spent half a year in New Zealand and half a year in Oregon, and we made beautiful wines, and it was wonderful. You know, sadly, Gary passed away in '09. We had two daughters, Gypsy and Romany, and nice. so I took a little break from the industry to raise them and uh, moved actually to South Dakota where I had a herd of bison, 46 head of bison, and just kind of spent some time feeling the feelings and raising the girls. In 2012, I came back to the industry, started making wine again, and here we are. Awesome. It's been quite the trip, and you kind of have lived up to that Gypsy you know, way of life to a certain extent. Sure. So, well, thank you for sharing that part of your story sure. with us. We're going to talk about your wine and what makes Gypsy Dancer wine different. And we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. We are talking with Christine Andrus on Wine Crush today. Thank you again for joining us. Of course. Chris, yeah, Christine is the owner of Gypsy Dancer, also located in Carleton. We have a Carleton connection today. And it's time to talk about some wine. So I'm going to let you tell me about all the specialty wines and things that you are doing 
with your winemaking then also that you're serving in the tasting room? Well, thanks. Um, I am making a few different Pinot Noirs. So Pinot Noir is my specialty. That is my focus and that is my passion. I've been doing this since 2002, so I kind of have an idea what I'm doing. I also started making wine both in New Zealand and in Oregon, so I had double vintages for a while there. So um, there's some vintages under my belt here. Um, But the main wine that I'm making is a wine I call Legacy. It's basically me carrying on the legacy of what Gary and I started way back when in the 2002 vintage. Um, I'm using similar techniques and barrel choices and um, just different things that um, that he taught me because he was a master winemaker. Um, and that consists mainly of using the majority of uh, the greatest amount of whole cluster fermentation that I can get away with based on the vintage. And that wine is sourced from right currently in the 2016 and 2017 vintages. I've been using a vineyard that I really enjoy called Leah's Vineyard, which is in the Chehala Mountain AVA. And then I also get some grapes from the Yamhill Carlton AVA. I get Pomard from Timble and Time and uh, Vadensville from Bayless. That's one of the wines I'm making. I'm also working with a wine called Cuvée Romy, named after my daughter. Uh, her name is Romani Christine, and we call her Romy. And it is a single clone wine made from 828 clone, which is a smuggled suitcase clone brought from uh, France by Gary, my late husband. Mm-hmm. Um, Another piece of the story. Indeed. And it comes from a very famous winery called Domaine Romani Conti, which was the namesake of my daughter. Uh, we love so obsessed with it. We named our daughter after it. And that's why that wine is named Cuvée Romi. And then the last wine that I really focus on is called Christine's Cuvée. And that is a blend of uh, bulk wine that I buy. It is a project that I'm doing whereby I blend what I consider personally, Christine considers to be sort of the most appealing wine for the particular vintage. So it doesn't really have consistency between vintages in terms of taste profile or even clonal selection. It's basically just an appealing wine, sort of a by-the-glass pour, something that more people will enjoy. Sure. I I mean, it totally makes sense, and I've had it, and it's lovely, and it's so nice and easy to drink, and it's a pretty color, and it's just it's awesome all the way around. Kind of hits all the senses, It really does. It's, It's I mean, it's really pretty fabulous. Um, you have mentioned cuvee, right. um, especially with Christine's cuvee. So not everybody knows what cuvee means. It sounds very French, um, but I'm sure there's a meaning to it that... Sure. It's just a very simple. It's a, a blend. Cuvee means blend. And so that wine is a blend of barrels of uh, that, to me, represent the most appealing things that that particular vintage has to offer. So in the 2016 vintage, um, it was a very fruit forward. It was a warmer vintage. It had, it was almost entirely made from pomard. So it's a very lush and velvety type of wine. In the 15 vintage, um, I got the wine from another winemaker, and that was just a little bit more complex with a little bit lighter qualities, a little bit wider in the palate. Again, just very appealing to the most people. It makes sense. I mean, every year is a different vintage. Every year has a different feel. And being able to make that blend in cuvee is is really nice for the mere fact that you can kind of craft it the way you personally want it 
rather than just doing a single clone or a single vineyard or a single whatever. So yeah, it is. It's exciting. It's a great project for me. I really enjoy it. After years of having estate, uh, we had eight vineyards, you know, before Gary died, and I always was using estate fruit. It's so fun to go out and seek new vineyards and different ways of uh, of making wine. It's Very exciting artistic times. and creative. It is. Yes, it seems like that's almost like the play wine or the wine that you really get to put your personality Indeed. on and spin. it really is. Yeah, which is great. Well, thank you for talking to our wine. Um, we are going to talk about Carlton because there is a ton about Carlton going yes. on and all kinds of things going on. So, and you are an expert in that uh, category well, um, just because you are in the <laughs> middle of it. So, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Carlton. Yay! Support for Wine Crush comes from Country Financial Insurance, offering simple steps today to solve big problems tomorrow. For more, go to countryfinancial.com. We are back with Christine Andrus of Gypsy Dancer and Rebecca Moore of Monksgate Vineyard. Ladies, tell us about Carlton Wine Country. You are both in Carlton. Um, we have tasting rooms in downtown Carlton, and we have tasting rooms out in the country within the AVA, and there's so much going on to talk about. So I'm going to hand it over to you and tell us what's going on in Carlton and why we need to be out there. You want to start with the town first, Christine? Well, you know, I think it's really interesting to have us both here um, and interacting. Um, of course, Rebecca is a friend of mine and I just adore her. And I her, her to say that. Her vineyard um, is just on the outskirts of um, sort of the town itself. Um, and I think it's super representative of the AVA or the American Viticultural Area. Um, that people talk about, and it's very exciting for her to talk about that. But I'm going to talk about the town itself. So Carlton is a tiny little town. It has about 2,500 people in it maximum. I don't even know if it has that many. And in that little town, there's up to, there's over 30 different tasting rooms, different wineries and tasting rooms. And the thing that makes it so unique and interesting and poignant in the Oregon wine country paradigm is that you can park your car and visit all all of these tasting rooms, you know, without having to get in your car and drive to the next place, which is the case in almost all of the Willamette Valley, you know, Oregon wine country, because things are so spread out. There are eight restaurants in that town. There's shops and B&Bs and Airbnbs. It's really a complete package. My tasting room is on East Main Street. It's right next to Ken Wright's Depot, which is a beautiful historic building. The majority of the buildings in downtown Carlton are historic buildings. And it's just a really lovely experience. And I think that people need to spend more time investigating it. Yeah, town is really lucky because we have so many of the historic brick buildings that have survived in beautiful shape. Yes. So you really get the sense when you're walking in this literally three square block area of um, going back in time. And town, 15 years ago, the town was basically dying. Most of the service industries had left. There was very little left in the town. And the wine community has changed that. So with the influx of the, the business that the tasting rooms have brought, it has revitalized the restaurant scene. It's revitalized. We actually have a music scene in Carlton, if you can believe that. Mm -hmm. um, the Horseradish does live music on Friday and Saturday nights. Barrel 47 does live music on Thursday nights, I think. Mm -hmm. And we get people from all over the county that come sure in for do. that. Yeah. So it's it's been a great thing. And then surrounding town, of course, is the Yamhill Carlton AVA. 
And it's such an exciting area to be in. So the AVA is horseshoe shaped, um, which is a benefit to all the vineyards there because we're a fairly warm AVA. We're in the range shadow from the coastal range. And then we have the Cascades protecting us to the northeast. So we get extended ripening time. Everything ripens really evenly. Um, We're on the oldest parent material in the valley. Our basalt is over 20 million years old. So that imparts a really different character for our vineyards. We get really fruit-forward wines. Um, We get wines with a lovely minerality in the structure to them and a little lower acid than the surrounding wines. So our wines tend to be palatable earlier. You don't have to cellar them for eight years before you can drink them if you don't want to. Um, I know many of my own customers don't have that kind of willpower. So, Well, speaking of wine, there's a bottle right here. Can I I pour some for you, Christine? I think... Yeah. I think it would be very interesting no to try moments. it. That would, the glass didn't break, just so everybody knows we're all good. <laughs> you better pour the host a glass, yeah, too. Absolutely. Yeah, it's bringing a glass. This looks like the 2017 yeah. Rosea Pinot Noir. Yeah, so this is the 17 dry rosé that I brought for you. Yep, and it is, it's spring in a glass, for sure. Brightens up the foggy day. Delicious. Well, ladies, we're going to come back and talk about Carlton a little bit more. Now that we have our wine in our glass, we'll be right back. listening to the PRP Podcast Co-op on Portland Radio Project at 99.1 in the heart of Portland and streaming worldwide at prp.fm. Back to Wine Crush, the podcast chock full of winemakers' stories uncorked. I'm your host, Heidi Moore, and we have Christine Andrus from Gypsy Dancer and Rebecca Moore from Monksgate Vineyard in the studio with us today. We've talked a little bit about Carlton and we've talked a little bit about the AVA, but there's so much more going on in the Carlton Yamhill area and region. Let's expand a little bit more on that with the events and the other cool things that are going on. Sure. So for the AVA, we have an annual event that takes place every year. It's called the Spring Tasting. We've been lucky enough to host it at Anami Vineyards for the last, gosh, I don't know how many years they've been a great host. It's such a unique opportunity. You can, we're up to 40 different wineries now. um, And I think the ticket price is $45. Wow, that's cheap for that many wineries to be involved. Exactly. So, and there's food pairing as well. It's just such an amazing opportunity for people to be able to spend one afternoon and get to experience a huge variety of different styles of wine, all from our AVA. So you can really get a sense of how each vineyard might be different from its neighbor. And so this is an annual event. Mm-hmm. So it place. happens every spring. Every spring. So this year it's April 14th. It's always in the month of April. We had to shift the date a little bit this year. Perfect. So we can look forward to yeah, so probably yeah. 40 vineyards this year or wineries this year and yeah. probably more next year. And we'll just have to keep tabs on it. And our AVA has a web page. So you can go to yamhillcarltonava.com, I think. Google it. Sorry, I don't have that exact address. But anyway, that keeps a running list of the events. And there's also the Willamette Valley Winery Association. They have a great web page for a resource. Awesome. Okay, cool. That's definitely something especially good for me to know. I can come check it out. And I know there's other things going on in Carleton. There's lots of things going on in Carleton. Every other month, we do what's called a ladies' night, which is a huge success. There's so many people coming to this uh, ladies' night. Each one of the downtown businesses does some sort of a specific offering for ladies. It is coming up in April, so it won't be in May. It'll be in June. 
you get the picture. It's every other month. And then in June, we do what's called Porklandia, which is a, a really fun event where it's all things pork all over Carlton. So lots of bacon. Oh, my bacon goodness. Bacon goes with oh, wine, well, right? so much more to pork than bacon. But yes, a <laughs> it's lot It's a really good start, though. And then we do an event in the fall, which is a huge fundraiser that we do for local charities called the Carlton Crush. This is a competition where teams sign up to stomp grapes. And so this is like a Lucy episode. It is. It's really Gone fun. modern. Yeah. It's awesome. really fun. We have music. We have a huge music lineup and um, a lot of vendors come. All of the wineries participate. It's pretty fantastic. And, and people come in costume for the crush, which is super fun. Now, when is this? I need to put this, this on my calendar September. now. It's the this second weekend of September yep. every year. Yep. And it is it is a huge event. And then we are doing a prom, an adult prom in, I guess that was in February. Yeah. Yep. In February. And that is just a huge fun event. Yeah, for, that's put on by the Carlton Business That looked like a blast. I saw all the pictures and I didn't know about it until the night before. I might have maybe finagled my husband into yes. to, <laughs> to, to and drug him to Carlton dresses. to go. Yes. Tuxes and prom dresses and limos and you name it. It's been an amazing success. But we're, it was in the VFW Quonset hut, so it had that certain je ne exactly. sais quoi. <laughs> it, is, it is a prom after all. Yeah, yeah. It awesome. is a prom. Well, we'll have to kind of keep an eye on the Carlton page and, and definitely Facebook and, and social media for that. We did want to mention one thing before we left, because you have had the beautiful honor of being part of the Wine Spectator, Rebecca. Oh, we're so honored, yeah. our um, With our 2015 vintage, I hired a winemaker named Drew Voigt, and the Wine Spectator, in its most recent spread, did a In the Spotlight article on uh, Oregon's Willamette Valley, and our winemaker was the front page lead on that, and that's actually my vineyard in the picture. So um, it's such a Exciting things are happening, not only for our vineyard and our ABA, but for the Oregon wine scene in general. Well, I want to say congratulations. Yeah. Let's do a quick toast Cheers, to that. everybody. Cheers to Cheers. Rebecca and Monkskate. And Oregon wine. And no Oregon kidding. Lima Valley. Yes. Well, thank you ladies for joining us on Wine Crush today and telling us your stories and, and telling us more and more about Carlton. What a fun place to visit. Wine Crush Oregon is a product of Portland Radio Project with producer Jenna Demmel and edited by Daniel Lynn. Thank you for joining us for the third episode of Wine Crush. Have a great weekend. Thanks, Heidi. Thank you.